It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Chris Foster. William Barr came on the podcast to talk about his career and his new book, One Damn Thing After Another, Memoirs of an Attorney General. He was U.S. Attorney General twice during the George H.W. Bush administration in the early 90s, then during the last administration under President Trump. He talked about his career and perspective on government and what's happening with democracy in the U.S. in general. He had some positive and honestly not so positive things to say about Donald Trump as a person and president, and also how he thinks Trump got a lot of bad advice from people telling him what he wanted to hear. A lot of that just wouldn't fit into the time we have for the regular weekday podcast. A lot of, frankly, good stuff had to be left out. That happens sometimes, and that's why we have this version to put the good stuff back in. So now, here's William Barr on the Fox News Rundown Extra. William Barr, uh, former Attorney General, One Damn Thing After Another, Memoirs of an Attorney General, is the book. Uh, Mr. Barr, first, how long did it take you to decompress after you stepped down as Attorney General this most recent time? If your shoulders drop yet, or are you one of those guys that can just shake off everything and move on? Well, I, I, you know, I didn't really take any time to decompress. I went right into writing the book. And then after, I thought, okay, when it's done, I'll have some time. But, you know, then I've had to go on the book tour. So I still haven't decompressed, to tell you the truth. I'm looking forward to taking the summer off. Okay. Uh, so you, you were AG under President Trump, of course, and then for President uh, George H.W. Bush before that, two obviously right. very different personalities, two different leadership styles. Um, did you find, we can get into that, but did you find the day-to-day was about the same within the DOJ or had a lot changed over those, what is it, 26 years? Well, a lot had changed. I, you know, even though, uh, you know, politics has always been especially bitter in Washington, it was it was far more toxic uh, the last time around under President Trump. So, uh, and, and things were moving a lot faster. You know, when I was AG the first time under Bush, we didn't have really cell phones. You know, my detail had a big thing that looked like a World War II walkie-talkie. There was no internet. You know, news stories took like a week to develop, so you saw it coming. Now things, uh, you know, were just popping up every second. So the pace was a lot faster. And also, uh, President Trump's style was different. I think President Bush pretty much uh, allowed me to do what I had to do over at the department. I really didn't have that many dealing, have to go over there too frequently to talk in the Oval Office. But Trump was a lot more, uh, you know, free flowing. Uh, he'd want to talk a lot and and have me over for a lot of different uh, meetings on many different subjects. So the pace of things the second time around was a lot lot more, uh, uh, you know, rapid. Yeah. Uh, you took over for Jeff Sessions, who at that point was somebody President Trump was not happy with. And you write in the book that you weren't interested in joining the administration. You were ready to kick back. Um, but mm-hmm. you'd been critical of Robert Mus- Mus- uh, Mueller, excuse me, special counsel Russia election interference investigation. And that, I guess, put you on the president's radar. Were you personally convinced to take the job? You obviously felt you had something to offer the president or the country. Yeah, I, well, I, I was, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into the government for a host of reasons. Mainly, you know, my own lifestyle was terrific at that point, and but I, I saw that the country was careening sort of toward a potential constitutional crisis. The Russia Gate thing was being used to uh, hurt the president and potentially even drive him from office and smother the administration and. 
a lot of people thought that the department needed someone like me who knew the department and could could run it and get confirmed by the Senate. And uh, I eventually became persuaded that um, if the president asked me, I would do it because you're doing it for the country. You're doing it uh, for the uh, to keep these important institutions functioning properly. And so I said, OK, well, if he asked me, I will do it. And he talked to me and asked me to do it. So I accepted. Okay. So you had basically talked yourself into it before you met with him. If, if, if the offer came, yeah, you mean, said my, you were going to do it. Yeah, my view was I was, they had asked me to go and talk to the people had asked me to go and talk to the president about it. And I said, I'm not going to talk to him unless I would actually accept the job. Otherwise, it's a waste of his time. And so I had to sort of cross that bridge mentally before I even went to talk to him that if he decided he needed me, that I should be prepared to do it. And uh, so I talked it through with my family. Uh, I had three daughters who were lawyers and uh, I met members of my family and my son-in-laws were in the department and so it would affect them too. And so we talked it through and everyone thought at the end of the day that I was in the best position to stabilize things at the department if I was asked. And so that's, that's how we got there. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. The Mueller investigation is one of those things that you are obviously aligned with President Trump on. Um, right. And there were, there were there was this media narrative, excuse forgive me for using the word, but you've used the word that you were a toady for the president. Yeah. Um, but right. but there may there were just things that you happened to agree with him on, not that you were carrying out his bidding. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was uh, committed in my own mind that the only way to get through this it's uh, during these times was to just make sure that I did the best I could on each issue that came to me and that I did what I thought was right and justified under the law and facts and not play games. And I told the president that in the criminal justice area, that's what I would do. We can't have politics determining what we do in the criminal justice sphere. And he agreed, and that's how I handled it. And it, as you say, it just, it just so happens that uh, the way I handled the Russia Gate, which was which was a completely uh, a false narrative that was being used as a weapon against the president, uh, the way I dealt with Roger Stone uh, was again based on the legal merits, and the judge's ultimate decision agreed with the position I took. My concern over the way Flynn was treated and the abuse that was involved there, in my mind, by the FBI, in which the evidence showed uh, there's a lot of hanky-panky, these were decisions based on the merits. I knew they would hurt me politically because the media would use them to advance their narrative. But at the end of the day, I have to be fair to the individual. That's what our justice system is about. So, uh, But there were things that the president... Uh, wanted me to do. He didn't tell me directly, but it was obvious from his tweets and his behavior. He wanted to see scalps uh, <laughs> brought before the election because that could be helpful to him, you know, on the Durham investigation and so forth. Uh, but we were not in a position to do it. The The investigation took a long time, longer than we liked, largely because of COVID that had frozen a lot of things. But, you know, I wasn't going to do something just to uh, use the criminal justice process to help 
him politically. That would have been wrong and an abuse, and he was very frustrated by that. Yeah, uh, the stuff, uh, the, the Donald Trump, the, the, the Donald Trumpness about him that got him elected in the first place, his his personality, who he is, you say probably cost him the election the second time around. Um, just by the way he handled COVID, for example, how did the, how did his qualities hurt his handling of the pandemic? Just as an example. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I say that his his some of his qualities actually helped him in 2016 uh, because people were very frustrated and because it helped them blow through the the mainstream media, uh, uh, you know, uh, smothering uh, of his, of his viewpoints and so forth. So. He was he was somewhat effective because of those traits, but in 2020 they didn't work. Um, they basically alienated a lot of the suburban voters, and he was told for about a year that he was going to lose the election unless, you know, he tempered some of his obnoxious behavior. And uh, I think that his handling of COVID was a mixed bag, but generally, uh, uh, you know, he was hurt by it. But I think what was decisive wasn't so much COVID, but uh, the kind of attributes he showed in the first debate, you know, sort of uh, uh, cranky, belligerent, sometimes petty. And polling had showed that he was going to lose many of the key suburbs because of that. And that's ultimately what happened. He he did not try to uh, correct for that. Uh, And I think that's why... He lost the election. You know, he he, 60,000 people went to the polls in Pennsylvania and voted Republican except for him. He ran weaker than the than the statewide Republican ticket and and the members of Congress that were running for reelection. If, if you're going to run behind the Republican Party in Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, you're, you're going to lose the election. Yeah. And that's what happened. Well, and that's clearly a case against it being fraud. Um if all right. those if all those if all those ballots were being discarded or switched to Democrat or whatever it was supposed to be, then then how did all these you know other Republicans do better than right. him in, in some of those districts? Now, um, you resigned a little shy of a month early. You didn't buy that the election was stolen. Some people still do, or at least are pretending to believe it because Trump supporters do. Um, is election fraud a big problem? And do you worry that fraud, or maybe more importantly, the perception of fraud going forward, are just par for the course in every presidential election now? No, I don't think they have to be, and I am worried about fraud, uh, and I'm worried about you know things that that undermine the integrity and the public acceptance of election results. Anything that dilutes the safeguards in an election uh, to make sure that the votes are kosher, anything that dilutes that is going to cause people to doubt the outcome, and that's what we're seeing now. And that's true whether or not you can ultimately prove fraud. It's very hard to prove fraud. It's very hard to cure fraud after the fact. That's why you have to have the protections in place at the time of the election. That's why I was against universal mail-in ballots and things like that, and I spoke out strongly uh, about that before the election. But um, So I think the thing to do is what the governors in Georgia and, and Texas have been doing, which is tightening up the rules in the states. The states are responsible for those rules, and they should be tightened up. And the parties have to be, and the Republican Party has to be very vigilant. 
uh, because the Democratic Party seem, I think they're playing with fire because they seem to be prepared to have elections based on the honor system. Well, no one's going to trust the outcome of those elections. And then we're in, you know, some very dark times if people don't think the elections have any integrity. And that's what we're seeing right now. Distrust. You predicted that uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin would be emboldened by President yeah. Biden's election, that Biden w- w- would be seen as weak. And um, this obviously isn't in the book because you didn't write the book in the last couple of months. But um, now we're seeing what we're seeing uh, in Ukraine. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton and some other people have said, look, Putin was just waiting to see if Trump was reelected, that Trump would have let Putin just waltz into uh, Ukraine unopposed. What do you think would be happening now if Trump was president? Um, I think probably if Trump had been elected, I think there probably would have been a period where we sat down with the Russians and engaged with them and try to work out some modus vivendi with the Russians, uh, where that would, you know, whether that was something that was feasible, whether we could reach a meeting of the minds that assured the Russians, uh, you know, that uh, that they weren't their milit their security wasn't being imperiled by NATO or, or the expansion of NATO. I don't know, but I think there would have been a, uh, an effort. I'm confident there would have been an effort toward that because I think the way uh, I think we saw the world was that China is the long-term, very serious danger to us, and we need to stabilize things in Europe. Uh, we can't afford to have uh, you know separate crises, one with Russia and one with China. We need to stabilize things, and so. I think there would have been an effort to do that. I don't think we had that chance under Biden because, as I said in the book, as soon as he saw Biden take control and as soon as he saw the disgrace that that occurred in Afghanistan, he was going to take what he wanted. And so there was no need to talk to us. It's funny how the news and life works out sometimes. Like the President Trump's first impeachment was based on this phone call with this then very obscure, at least here, uh, guy who was a comedian, Vladimir Zelensky, the new president of Ukraine, asking him to announce this Biden investigation. You say, first of all, you say that call is more, I don't know, self-destructive than it was, and maybe unnecessary than it was criminal, right? Right, right. I don't think it was, there was nothing criminal in that call. Uh, and uh, I just thought it was a lot of, I, I thought the whole thing with Giuliani trying to drum up uh, getting Ukrainians to investigate Biden was a stupid was a stupid idea uh, and ended up hurting the president. But, uh, you know, I don't think he should have been impeached over it. Uh, was the president led down a rabbit hole there and, and with the with the election fraud stuff? Did, did, did people who maybe didn't have his best interest at heart get into his ear? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that happen repeatedly during the administration. He, you know, some presidents cut themselves off and don't talk to enough people. The president was always talking to people, and there's something good about that. But he seemed to be attracted to people who told him what he wanted to hear and sometimes spun out, you know, deep conspiracy theories. But, and also were, were urging him to do things that they really had no idea whether it would work or not and what the ramifications would be. And they certainly had no responsibility for carrying it out. So it's easy for someone to say, let's send the 82nd Airborne into Portland and liberate Portland, you know. But they're not the ones that have to deal with that. And then what would happen when the rest of the country explodes in protest over that? 
during an election year. So he he would listen to some of these uh, people who I don't think had good common sense, had no conception of how the government operates, but told them what he wanted to hear. And I think, you know, after the election, after the 2020 election, um, you know, uh, there were people out there that were spinning all this information about, you know, how he really had won the election, and that was something he was disposed to listen to. Yes. Uh, but they didn't have any evidence, and they most of them didn't know what they were talking about. So you were the, I looked it up, you were the 77th and 85th Attorney General right. of the United States. Uh, no, obviously there are political differences between the people who are in that club, but did, did you study the careers or, 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 the, or the temperaments or the management styles? Of, or did you speak to Dick Thornburg or Janet Reno or, Mer- or even Merrick Garland or Jeff Sessions about the job? Or did you just try to forge your own path? I mean, I, the second time, I really didn't talk to anybody. I sort of understood the department uh, from my first go-around. You know, I picked up things over the years about running large governmental operations. I picked it up by watching H.W. Bush when he was at CIA. He was only there for a year, but they named the headquarters after him because he was so highly regarded just based on his one year of leadership. And, you know, I watched Dick Thornburg. Um, I watched Ronald Reagan at the White House when I was in the Reagan White House and so forth. So um, I didn't really, I knew a lot about the attorneys general and their style, uh, but, uh, you know, I didn't make a study of them. Uh, one man I respected a lot, you know, Dick, uh, died while I was at the justice department the second time, Dick Thornburg, but somebody who was a great help to me. And I thought was a magnificent attorney general was, uh, Mukasey, Mike Mukasey from New York, um, who, uh, you know, was uh, uh, attorney general under George W. Bush for the last part of his administration. So, and and I would consult with former AGs from time to time. You write in the book. You you don't think it's it's you don't think the party should be going back to the Trump well next time. Any plans though? I'm guessing no. To, no plans to get back in the saddle if or under President DeSantis or Haley or Pence. You're 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 done with government. Uh, I'm. Well, I wouldn't say I'm done with government. Uh, I have no real desire to go back into government. But as I say, if the president needs you to do something, uh, you know, you're disposed to to listen to that because you're doing it for the country. But I doubt I would go back to the department again. It's a it's a very I think it's one of the hardest jobs in government. And having survived it twice, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would go back again. But um, I'm hoping that uh, uh, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for the Republicans going forward. I think it could be another uh, Reagan era where the Republicans dominate through several elections. And I think we need the right leader to lead us in that and help restore America, to make America great again. That's what it'll take. It's, It's not something we can do in one term. It's something that requires three terms or four terms uh, to to accomplish. Leonvar's book is called One Damn Thing After Another, Memoirs of an Attorney General. Which one damn thing after another was uh, it was his title about, by the way? Which which damn thing? Yeah. There were so many of them. <laughs> there were so many of them. But, you know, it, it, I, I'll never forget the day where, well, you know, once Mueller went up to testify, to me that marked the end of the Russiagate nonsense. Uh, once he went up to testify during the summer of 2019. And we were quite happy to put that baby to bed. 
the very next day is when the president had his phone call with Zelensky, and off we were on impeachment. So <laughs> that was definitely one day after another. William Barr, thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.